It's such a joy to be able to explore God's word together today and continue the series, Eyes Wide Open. You know, Jesus actually challenged his disciples in John 4:35 with these words. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus was challenging his disciples. He's saying, hey, see the harvest in front of you. See, see the people in front of you who are eager and ready for salvation. And here at Liberty Church, we're taking that challenge personally. We're actually taking a look at God, how can we see how you see? How can we see people and respond with your kind of compassion? Friends, we believe that this is a year of harvest for us. And, and yeah, even in the midst of the times that we're living in, perhaps especially in the times that we're living in, it's so key for us to open our eyes and see what God sees when he sees people. And so with the time that we have today, we're gonna continue to explore how God sees those who perhaps others don't see and what it means to see people radically and respond with radical compassion to bring truth and love, to bring healing and hope to our world. So let's pray together. And my belief today is that we're gonna leave here empowered and encouraged to make a difference. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the series and this opportunity for us to gather, for us to hear your word, for us to hear your voice. And Father, I pray that we would have eyes open, that we would see how you see, that we would respond how you would respond, that we would leave here this time that we have together today, that we would leave with this really tangible experience with you that changes how we see you and how we relate to others in our world today, God. I pray that you speak to the places of our heart that need to be spoken to in ways that we couldn't predict. Just have your way, God. Have your way from beginning to end in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, some of you might know this about me, but uh, some of you probably don't. And many of you, this might be a, a surprise. But when I was in high school, I was a part of my dramatic arts program. Yes, I was a theater geek, or as we like to refer to ourselves back in the day, I was a true thespian. I even have a photo to show you of one of the shows that I was in when I was in high school. Yes, yes, uh, looking very good there with that bonnet. Uh, if you can see this photo, it's a... Uh, it's tragic, actually. I still have the bonnet. No, no, I don't. That would that would be very strange. Uh, but I do I do remember my experience there, and I loved it. And and when I was a part of the theater program, uh, we had a partnership at the school that I was a part of with a very very prestigious. Uh, Shakespeare Festival on the West Coast. And so a lot of the very talented actors and directors from the festival, they would actually donate their time at the school. So often our plays at the school and our classes and our workshops would be taught by people from the festival. It was amazing. And for me, as somebody who uh, just loved history and historical fiction. And I was obsessed with period pieces and I had read every Shakespeare play that had been written. Ah, oh, it was a dream come true. And some of you are like, wow, the nerdum runs deep for this one. <laughs> yes, yes it does. And um, I remember my senior year of high school, and I remember that there was a play that they announced that we were gonna do called Our Town. I was so excited and I knew a lot of people were gonna be auditioning because one of the really talented directors at the festival was volunteering to direct this school play. 
Uh, so I was nervous, but I knew. I knew I had to give it my all. I had to audition, and I was going to work really hard to get a part. So I spent hours and hours running lines. I was ready. I remember the day that I auditioned. I felt the right kind of nervous, you know, the kind of nervous where, where you're excited, but you also feel very prepared, and you're ready. You're ready to give it your all, ready to be brave. You're ready to take those risks. And I got to tell you, when I auditioned on the lonely stage, I stood, and I, and I was auditioning to that director that I had a lot of respect for, and I was hoping to work with and a few other people, it, it went really well. By really well, I meant like I, I nailed it. I crushed it. It felt good, you know? It was like all my hard work paid off. And, and, and I remember in that moment thinking to myself, okay, this is it. This is my moment. I, I did it. And, and I'm going to have a real shot at making the cast. In, in fact, it was the standout really audition of the day. My, my uh, school teacher later on pulled me aside and told me how proud she was of the work I'd done. And it wasn't a perfect audition by any means, but I just felt it was right. And so after I gave the audition, I was feeling really great. And, and, and I remember the director applauding my performance. And I'm feeling even more great in this moment. I'm thinking, this is it. This is my moment. And then he said this. He said, you know, you have a really specific look. Uh, I think you'd do better with modern work, not so much period pieces. Why don't you put your efforts there? Now, I, I didn't really understood. I, I couldn't really understand what he meant when he said a specific look until the next day when the casting was announced. And I noticed that myself and a handful of other minorities in the school who had auditioned all got cast as extras. Yeah, the injustice stung. And I was old enough to know subtle racism and prejudice when I saw it. And I felt a lot of things, but I gotta tell you, I wasn't actually prepared for how I would really feel. Because yes, I felt angry. Of course, I felt disappointed. But more than anything else, I felt overlooked. I felt unseen. I felt excluded in that moment. Now, I will tell you that that experience actually fueled within me a deeper desire to work hard at the craft I loved. And by the time I graduated from high school, I'd been accepted to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and I moved to Los Angeles, which was like a lifetime ago. But I'll never forget that feeling. There's a unique pain that comes with feeling overlooked, feeling unseen, feeling excluded. And it's also a feeling that none of us are exempt from in different moments in our life. I think we can all relate to the sense of feeling unseen. You know, maybe growing up there was a friendship circle that you just never really felt like you could be a part of. Or maybe in your home life, your parents were always having to work and so you just really didn't feel like they had time to see you in your home. Or maybe there was a coach that you really respected but they didn't give you that much time. Or maybe as you got older, there were certain opportunities, certain positions that you worked so hard for but you felt really overlooked. Maybe there just different moments in your life that you felt like nobody understood you. I think we all understand what it means and what it feels like to feel unseen. And the, the times that we're living in right now, perhaps in the midst of everything that we're adapting to and changing to and finding new norms and, and all the news that's going on in our world, perhaps right now there's some new stresses or there's some new frustrations or there's things that we're having to manage and deal with and in the midst of that it could leave this feeling of feeling like man I think my needs are going unseen and my voice is being unheard and the real question in all of this is where is God in this like how does God respond to us in our moments when we feel unseen when we feel excluded when we feel overlooked well in Luke chapter 19 we see Jesus we see him interacting with a moral outcast, somebody who is excluded from his community. 
And we see his interaction with this man. And, and the way that Jesus responds to this man named Zacchaeus, it shows us just how radically Jesus sees us and challenges us to see people the same way. So why don't we turn to Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and let's read together. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now it's obvious when we read this passage of scripture that Zacchaeus' life was radically changed. I mean, he went from a moral outcast to a repentant philanthropist in just a matter of a few short verses, and all because he met Jesus. And it's worth noting for the sake of this conversation that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and in that day and age, in his culture, that meant that he was viewed by his countrymen as a traitor. He was serving the Roman occupation, the very people that were oppressing his people. He was not only working for them to get taxes, but a lot of times he was, he was getting some money in return. He was taking a little extra for himself. It was this lifestyle that allowed him to have the wealth and success that he had. It was at the sake and expense of other people. So this is shocking here. Shocking, not just to the crowd that were watching this scene take place, but it was shocking to Zacchaeus himself that Jesus would say hello, would notice him, would call him by name and would invite himself as the most unlikely of all guests to spend some time with Zacchaeus. It was scandalous. It was shocking. It was unexpected. And it's in this moment where Jesus, Jesus says, I wanna be known by you. I wanna I want experience connection with you where Jesus takes this moment with Zacchaeus and in this interaction and he says to Zacchaeus, hey, I want to spend some time with you. It's in this moment that it not only has lasting change for Zacchaeus, it not only shows us how God saw Zacchaeus, but it challenges us to see the same way. And so with the time that we have, the rest of the time that we have together today, I want us to explore this passage a little bit more closely. I want us to take a look at a couple different things. First, I want us to spend some time looking at exactly what Jesus did here like how Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus, what it really meant for Zacchaeus and what it means for us. I want us to take some cues also from Jesus and get real practical with the rest of the time we have with the message and look at some real implications in our life of how we can see people the way that Jesus sees, how we can see the unseen and respond with radical connection, radical transformation, radical grace. So let's begin first with some lessons here that we learned from Jesus. Who is Jesus in the story? What does his actions teach us? What do they teach us about who Jesus is in our own lives? Well, I think first we, we can note, and this is so key and important here, that according to this passage, we can discover about Jesus that Jesus sees our efforts. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And let's just talk about for a second that Zacchaeus here, he, he did some unusual things to get to see Jesus. Like this is unusual. 
He was willing to, in, in Luke 19, verse four, run ahead of the crowd and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. He did some strange things. He made some real effort to get to Jesus. Now I want us to really picture what was going on here because this is, this is fascinating to me. He, he's a grown man, he's wealthy. Maybe he's wearing some real expensive clothes. You know, he, he has probably a, a posture about him, a reputation about him. And he's willing to run ahead of the crowd. And this grown man climbs a tree, is perching out just to try to see Jesus. I mean, this is like fangirl level type stuff that Zacchaeus is doing here. Like, I'm sure the people around him were like, this is a little embarrassing. Like, you know, you, you could calm down a little bit, like be chill, bro, right? And yet he was willing to do whatever he needed to do. And the scripture is really clear why. The Bible actually says that his motive was because he wanted to see who Jesus was. Think about that for a second. He just wanted to know who Jesus was. <laughs> when we really want to know who Jesus is, and know it for ourselves, not, not maybe what we were told by other people or our parents, what we learned in Sunday school, what preachers maybe preach on a Sunday, that's all good. But when we really want to know who Jesus is for ourselves, it causes us to start to do some unusual things. It causes us to, to start to wake up earlier to pray. It causes us to lean in differently when we're a part of an online service like right now. It causes us to open our Bible and read the gospel accounts of what Jesus did and, and really study and look differently. It causes us to ask different questions. It causes us to open our hearts in different ways. It causes us to want to stay connected with other believers so that we could pray together, we could strengthen and grow together in our faith. It causes us to, to start to wake up earlier or stay up later or cancel that TV subscription and spend more time. We're willing to do whatever it takes to really get to know who Jesus is for ourselves. Think about this. This is extraordinary because when we get to that point, we see that there's a great reward. When we really desire to know Jesus, to, to know Jesus for ourselves, to really know him personally, then we're willing to cut through the religious rhetoric. We're willing to cut through challenging circumstances. We're willing to cut through even our own comfort and our own convenience. We're willing to do what it takes to get to know Jesus. Then we will actually get to see him and experience him. In fact, James chapter four, verse eight tells us from the Passion Translation, I love this. Move your heart closer and closer to God. And here's the promise, he will come even closer to you. Some of us right now are in a place in our life where we're just like yearning to know more about God, yearning to know more about Jesus. Maybe there's some added stress in our life, some added anxieties in our life. Maybe we're at a place where our capacity is being stretched or our faith is being stretched or, or our ability to endure is being stretched and we're crying out to God like never before. Some of us are praying more than we've ever prayed. Some of us are opening our Bible and reading and saying, God reveal truth to me more than we ever have. Some of us are choosing to, to continue community groups. We're, we're engaging with people around us virtually. We're doing whatever we need to, to stay connected, to learn from each other, to grow together. Some of us are doing things that we haven't done before, or we're doing them to greater lengths. And I want to encourage every single one of us right now that those efforts don't go unnoticed by God. He sees them. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw the effort. And I want to encourage us, friends, that God sees us. He sees every move we make to get closer to him. In fact, it pleases the heart of God because God's greatest desire is simply to be with us. So let's keep drawing near to God. Let's keep running ahead of the crowd. Let's keep climbing the sycamore fig trees. Let's do whatever it takes to draw closer to God because we have a promise here that God draws closer to us.
Not only do we learn here that, that Jesus sees our efforts, but I love this. We also get to discover from this passage that Jesus calls us by name. Do you notice how, how Jesus starts the conversation with Zacchaeus? He actually calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I need to stay at your home. There's something powerful when somebody that you've just met knows your name, calls you by name. You know, a number of years ago, I worked with a pastor in a church in Los Angeles, and he had a reputation of being great at remembering names. Like he was so good at it that people just thought it was like this natural gift that he had. But I saw, I saw the behind the scene moments when after he would meet somebody in a church lobby and they would walk away, he'd pull out this little notebook and he'd make some notes. And I would see him during the week in his office, pull out that same notebook and look over those notes, not just to remember that person's name, but to also pray for them. It was an intentional, active discipline in his life because it was his way of saying to the people around him, you matter, I see you, you're seen by God and you're seen by me. And for a number of years, I ran the membership class at our church. And when I would ask people why they made the decision to be a member of the church, the most reoccurring story that I would hear, it would always start the same way. Well, when I came the second or third week to church, Pastor Jeff, he greeted me in the lobby with my name. He knew my name and it meant that, that this was home. There's something powerful about knowing names by being called by your name. I want us to imagine and envision what it must have been like for Zacchaeus in that moment to hear Jesus call him by name. How special he must have felt. Not just special, but set apart, welcomed, wanted. You know, when Jesus called Zacchaeus by name, it wasn't because he was trying to get Zacchaeus' attention, he already had it. It was because he was communicating to Zacchaeus, hey, I know you, you matter to me, you are valuable. And friends, I wanna encourage us today that just like Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, that God knows our name and he too is calling us by name. I mean, listen to this word of promise and affirmation from Isaiah 43 for each of us. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, I hope we rest in the assurance that we have a God who calls us by name, that we matter to him personally, that he cares, that he sees, that he is calling us to him. May we take to heart these words in Isaiah and rest in the assurance that not only does God call us by name, but we belong to him, which means we never have to give in to fear. Jesus, he sees our efforts. He calls us by name, but you know what else? And we, we, we have to mention this if we're talking about lessons we learn about Jesus here. Jesus also extends his friendship to us. And that's what he did to Zacchaeus. When he said to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I need to stay in your home. That meant something in that culture. In Jesus's time to stay at somebody's home, to be a guest was to give a public display of friendship to everybody else in the community, which is why so many religious leaders in Jesus's time were very particular about where they would share their meals, who they would be a guest to. They weren't 
con- uh, they, they, they weren't comfortable just being in anybody's home. And why? Because they didn't want to be associated with certain people. They didn't want to see, hey, other people go, there's a friendship here. And so they must be okay with certain behavior. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus extended his friendship to Zacchaeus, regardless of the fact that Zacchaeus wasn't perfect. He had his flaws. He wasn't a person who was on the outside of community. He was excluded from a lot of people thinking that he could actually have an opportunity to know God, but still Jesus extended his friendship to him. It's powerful. And friends, here's, here's the greatest part about this, is not only did Jesus extend his friendship to Zacchaeus, but Jesus extends his friendship to us as well. Not only is this radically scandalous when it comes to the grace of God and remarkable and magnificent, but let's really think about what it means to have Jesus as a friend. Because if we think about friends for a second, good friends at least, then there's a certain amount of qualities that good friends have. Good friends are trustworthy. Good friends are open and honest. Good good friends, they have your back. Good friends, they call you out on stuff. Good friends are gonna show up for you, believe in you, want the best for you. Good friends are a companion. Good, Good friends make life sweeter. They make life better. And here Jesus is saying, to Zacchaeus saying to each and every one of us, hey, I wanna be that for you. I I wanna be a safe place for you. I want you to be able to open to me. I wanna walk with you. I wanna teach you some things. I wanna make your life better. I wanna have your back. Yes, I wanna challenge you on some things too. I wanna be a friend for you. In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said this to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. (laughs) You Many of us know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yes, and amen to that. But how many of us can say that we know him as friend? I pray that in whatever season we're finding ourselves in, that we'd open our hearts to the possibility that Jesus Jesus wants us to be known. Jesus wants us to know him as friend. And that as we open our hearts and our lives to the reality that Jesus calls us friend, that he desires friendship with us, that he wants to lead us and guide us, and yes, be friend to us as well, that it would bring unshakable hope, peace, and joy in our lives right now. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw the effort he made. He called him by name. He he extended friendship to Zacchaeus. And because he did, it changed Zacchaeus' life. He underwent a radical transformation. And we know that he was a changed man. Why? Because of the way he began to relate to other people. Immediately, he started becoming incredibly generous. He went from taking from people to giving to people. And the same is true for us. When we experience Jesus, it doesn't just change the way we relate to God, it changes the way we relate to others. It it fuels within us a deep compassion. It causes us to not only know that we're seen by God, but begin to see other people and respond to needs differently. And so with the rest of the time that we have here, I want us to take a look at the practical implications for us of what it means to actually see like Jesus saw. Yes, now we have an understanding of what it means to be seen by Jesus, but now how do we see others as well? Well, there's lots of lessons here, but I'll start with this one. Lesson learned from this passage that we read is that we can offer connection, not condemnation. 
You know, Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, hey, I'd love to hang with you, but before I can, you need to get your act together. You, you need to change some of your behaviors before I'm willing to offer you any connection. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he simply says, hey, I, I want to hang with you. I want to spend time in your home. What would, what would it look like for us as the church at large to offer more connection and less condemnation? What would it look like for us to gain a reputation as the church, the church globally, the church of this generation, to be more associated with acts of hospitality and less associated with picket signs? You know, Mother Teresa, she put it best. She said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. I mean, what would it look like for each and every one of us to live our lives in such a way, to, to make such kinds of decisions in our lives and choices, the way that we act, the way that we lead, the way that we love, the way that we share, that sends the message to those around us, hey, you belong. Regardless of whether or not you believe what I believe, you belong, you're welcome. I mean, what would it look like if we gave people our attention and our time and our affection, not because we approve of all of their choices, but because we affirm who they are as people who are loved and valued by God? What would it look like for us to take a cue from Jesus and offer connection to those around us, whether or not people have the same choices we would make, whether or not they're living to the same standard that we wish to live to, how could we offer pure connection? Now, I actually believe that right now more than ever, mm, our world is hungry and aching for connection. We have an opportunity as the church to get creative. We have an opportunity to leverage technology, to send a text, to pick up the phone and have a call, to schedule a video chat, we have an opportunity to build bridges right now and to give people an alternative to isolation and loneliness. So I wanna challenge every single one of us this week. What if every day this week, we just reached out to one person, one person that we believe is in need of connection? Said, hey, I'm thinking about you. Can we talk? to schedule a time to talk that isn't rushed, that isn't hurried, where we ask the question, how are you doing? How are you doing really? And then we just listen. I believe that when we offer this kind of connection to the world around us, we model the compassion of Jesus and we give people an opportunity to see in the way that we live, how deeply God loves and cares and how every person is truly seen by God. We can offer connection, not condemnation. Another lesson here, is that we can actually believe that inviting people to know Jesus can change anyone's story. I mean, Zacchaeus' life was changed, but it wasn't changed because he went through a program or because he completed a personal growth seminar or because he had some serious talking to from somebody and it finally got to him or because all the public shaming and shunning finally paid off. No, he changed because he met Jesus. I believe the greatest gift that we can give people right now is simply that in the way that we love, in the way that we speak, in the way that we respond, we point people to Jesus. People, they don't really need our opinions or our commentary or our judgments or our criticisms. They need an encounter with Christ. When um, I was a bit younger, my dad shared this story with me and it's always stuck with me and gave me true context of 
as to how I've seen this at play in my family's story. When my dad was a teenager, he went through a really rough patch as some rebellious years for him. And it was really rocky for a lot of his relationships with his family. A lot of people during that time didn't really help him out, weren't really there for him, uh, had to rebuild some relationships down the road. But he had an aunt, my great aunt, Olga. And Olga happened to be the first believer in Jesus Christ on my dad's side of the family, first real follower of Jesus. And she was kind to my dad during that time. She was compassionate. She would love him. She would encourage him. She would invite him to church all the time. She would share about Jesus to him. And, you know, he, he would always respond the same way. No, that's not really for me. I'm, I'm not going to go to church. And so he never really went with her. Unfortunately, a few years later, she passed away from cancer. But fast forward, when I'm 10 years old, my family is really in a difficult season. We're going through a lot of challenges in our home and my dad is having to make some big decisions. And one of the decisions that he made, he said to us, you know what, I think we need to start going to church. And we hadn't been going to church regularly and that kind of felt odd and out of place for him to say, but we thought, okay, whatever you wanna do, dad. And so he pulled out his phone book. We had phone books back then. And he started just looking down the churches that were in our city. And every week we would go to a different church, every single week. And after every church service, we'd get in the car and my dad would say, ah, that's not the one. Something's missing. Something doesn't feel right. After weeks and weeks of doing this, my dad goes, you know what? I'm trying to remember now the name of that church that Olga used to invite me to. She would invite me all the time. I never said yes. I wonder if it still exists. And so he looked up in the phone book and he found the name of the church. It was still around. And so he said, this coming Sunday, let's, let's go here. And so we all went to this church, this church that decades ago, my great aunt Olga used to attend, that she time and time again invited my dad to. And after that service that day, which was so different from anything that we'd experienced, we heard the gospel message. We saw the spirit of God at work in the church. We had a glimpse of what really hope and action looked like. My dad said, this is where we need to be. And so we kept going to that church. And over the next couple of years, every single one of us in our family independently made a decision to follow Jesus and to begin to, uh, to discover his plans and his purpose for our lives. But I think about this, and it all started because one woman was willing to invite my dad, to invite him in a time when he needed it most. And even though he wasn't ready at that moment, years down the road when he was, there was a great harvest. And my whole family owes part of our salvation story to a woman I've never even met. And truthfully, I've been in ministry full-time since I was 19 years old. I've been sharing the gospel since I was 12 years old. Every person that I've ever gotten to tell Jesus about, every person that I've ever gotten to serve in the name of Christ, every person I've ever gotten to pray for, in part, it's her fingerprints on those moments. Because back in the day, she was willing to invite. Because she believed that if people just knew Jesus, it could change anyone's story. You never know. You never know the impact that your simple invite will make. You never know the impact that your simple story of saying, this is what God has done in my life, will actually have in the life of somebody else. But I promise you this, it's probably going to be far greater than you could ever imagine. And next week is Good Friday and Easter. And what an opportunity 
for us to invite. <laughs> Whether we are gathering in person in live gatherings or we are still joining online, doesn't matter, we can invite. We can say, hey, check out church with me <laughs> because people need hope. People don't need our opinions and they don't need our judgments. They just need an encounter with Jesus. And so next week, let's give people an encounter and let's watch miraculous stories take place simply because we believe that simply inviting people to know Jesus can change people's stories. Finally, the last lesson that we can pick up here today with the time that we have is we can learn from Jesus to live life on mission. Now, I love that Jesus actually ends this portion of scripture with an exclamation point because he says this, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He's giving us a reason for everything he just did with Zacchaeus of why he's celebrating with Zacchaeus, why this moment matters to him so much. He's saying, this is my mission in action. You know, Jesus lived with a crystal clear mission and he lived it to a T. He fulfilled his mission completely, even at the cost of his life. He gave everything to fulfill mission. And it was this, to seek and save the lost. And as followers of Jesus, we now carry that same mission. We live on mission. We live sent wherever we go, knowing that God has called us to seek the lost. God has called us to, to now we don't do the saving here, but we do know somebody who does and to point people to Jesus. This is our mission. And I gotta say, in the day and age, the times that we are living in right now, the temptation could be to lose sight of mission. The temptation could be to allow circumstances around us to perhaps cloud our view of purpose, the purpose that God has given us. So friends, I wanna stir some faith within us right now. I wanna remind us that we have mission, that this mission matters that we too have been sent like Jesus was, sent into our families, sent into our communities, sent into our neighborhoods, sent into our apartment buildings, sent wherever we go, we've been sent to our, our places of work. If we're working remotely, however we're working right now, we have been sent. God's given us mission. And when we live life on mission, then it changes the way we go about our day. It changes the choices that we make. I think that now is the opportunity as the church not to self-preserve, but to give, to love, to lead, to speak life, to speak words of encouragement, to lend a helping hand, to do what we can to make a difference. And here's why I know we can do it. Because we actually have a Jesus who's conquered everything for us. <laughs> and we have God the Father who will never abandon us. And we have the very spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead within us that enables us and empowers us to do good, to spread the good news of Jesus, to see people and respond to them the way that Jesus does. I'm gonna pray with us in just a moment, but before we do, I wanna leave us with just a, a few reflection questions actually, just three that I put together. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, to turn this message into more than a message, but a lifestyle for each of us. Let's take some time to reflect on, on what we've heard today, on God's word. So you can do this two ways. One, you could just take some time to, to just pray and reflect and journal, write down your answer to these questions on your own time. 
Or I would encourage you to actually uh, go ahead and just within your household or call up some friends who are also watching today and, and say, hey, let's answer these questions together. Let's spur on each other's faith. Let's have some really good conversation around what it means to see like Jesus sees and to know that we're seen right where we are. So question number one is this, what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What impact does that have on your life each day? You go ahead and just like pull out your phone if you want to and screenshot it if you can or jot this question down quickly. The second one is this, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you who might be feeling unseen or overlooked right now. How can you begin to connect with them, extend kindness to them and help them to know Jesus more? And thirdly, how does living life on mission change how you see the people around you?